We're beginning a new series uh, this morning, The Glory of the Incarnation, and we're going to be looking at passages that we may not really associate uh, with Christmas, but these are passages we should be looking at and looking for uh, in the Advent season. I don't know where I picked up this story, but it was told as a true story, so I heard it maybe from a church member with a family, but it's just a short little thing about a grandfather who took his grandson out to go looking for the perfect Christmas tree. Somewhere in the hills of Tennessee, they went looking and spent hour after hour and didn't find one that just fit what this young child was expecting. And finally, the grandfather had had enough. It was getting close to dark, and he said, Son, the next time, the next, the next tree we see, that's the one we're taking. I'm cutting it down, grandson. That's the one you're getting. And he just looked up with these sad eyes and said, Even, even if it doesn't have lights on it? So we have this expectation. He had false expectation, wrong expectation. We have this expectation of let's, let's just live at the beginning of, of Luke's gospel or the beginning of Matthew's gospel. But in John's gospels and Paul's epistles, elsewhere there is so much of the Christmas story of why did Christ, as we'll see, come down from heaven? Why was he, and this is in John more than any other book in the New Testament, why was he sent by God. I know it's not a word, but you can't miss the sentness of Jesus in John's gospel. Why, would, why did he come? Why was he sent? Why was he made manifest? Why did Jesus come to be with us at Christmas? Why, why did you come today? For the music? That would, have, that would have been a good reason. Did you come this morning? Because between you and I, there's still some Thanksgiving family you can't get rid of. And so if you came here, maybe they'd pack up and leave. Did you come this morning uh, just, to, just to meet with other people? Did you come this morning because Mama said so? Did you come because I wanted to meet with God this morning and let him know how thankful I am and how much I love him? Why did you come? Why did Christ come? There's going to be several instances. It'd be a great study to go through John's gospel and see every time that Jesus says, this is why the Father sent me. This was in his heart. It's not just in my heart. This was in his heart to send me. Why was Christ sent for us? Why did he come down from heaven? So that's what we'll be doing over these weeks together through Advent. Now listen, we're two weeks away from the cantata. So go ahead and be praying and thinking through who I'm going to invite to that. People are more open to an invitation at this season and at Easter than at any other time. And the truth of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, is going to be presented through that cantata on December 11th. So be thinking through now, Lord, who's that one family, that one person that I can invite? People are open to it. People are open to it. Who will that be? But over our weeks of preaching together, why did Christ come? Now, quick as a background of... If you're a note taker in John's gospel, where are we? What's going on here? This is first in the middle of the great I am sayings. It's really towards the, the end of that. This, this is, as you go through John's uh, uh, gospel, and, and Corey actually did this with our students uh, recently, walked through the I am statements with them. What do we see here in our passage? We get two of them here. I am the good shepherd and I am the door. The height of that may be in chapter 8 when he says, and listen, he's going to say it later in our passage uh, today too, 
equating himself, giving himself equality with the Father. I and the Father are one. They would have lost it when they heard that. But if you go back to chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. Now you're going to have some more of this going on, but just as a reminder, that's where we are, this revelation of who he is and that he is God worthy of worship. So this is the middle of the I am statements. But then secondly, this is in this section that Bible scholars call the book of signs. From chapter 2 really to 11-ish or so, you've got these seven different signs that Jesus does, these miracles, but they're different from miracles. You get to the end of the gospel, and John's going to say, if, 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 I, if I just wrote down everything that Jesus ever did, it would fill up the world. These thousands of things that I saw him do. If I wrote it all down, it would fill up the known world. But John only gives us seven. I'm only going to give you seven miracles of, 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 of what Christ does. And the, and the next chapter really is the height of that. It's, it's, it's Lazarus, right? The, the raising from the dead of Lazarus. But here in 10, a lot of Bible scholars say, when you get with these two I am statements, and, and here you are walking through those and then walking through these seven particular miracles. Ten may be the deepest revealing. I know you had the prologue in John 1. This may be the deepest revealing of who Christ is in John's gospel. There's so much here about who Jesus is. And really, after this moment, the way John writes his gospel, the way the Spirit leads John to write it, it's a stepping back after this moment. After he says these things, it's really just he's with a few friends, he's with the disciples, just a little group of Gentiles, but that's really it. Here's this deep revealing of who he is, that I am the door, which again, if you've read commentaries, you know that in some ways that's awkward to say that he's the door because there is no door to a sheep pen. There is. It's called a shepherd, and I'm here. If anybody wants to come in to get my sheep, you're going through me. But it's also through me. It's not just in, it's out. If you want to go out and find pasture, and that's where we're going today. If you want to go out to find pasture, you want to go out to find life, it's only going to be in and through me. I am the door. Your protector, yes, but if you want to come into the Father or if you want to go out to life, it's all through Christ Jesus. And then we also get this reminder too. Uh, that he is the good shepherd. And we'll talk more of that next week, that he comes and he lays down his life for his sheep. He came flesh, that he might bear our weakness, yes, that he might bear our sufferings, yes, but that he might be tempted in all things and on that cross bear our sin. But for today, out of this book of signs, out of these great statements of I am, what do we find here? Verse 10. Here's one of the many reasons I have been sent, or verse 10. Here's why I have come. It's a Christmas passage. It's an Advent passage. Here's why I have come. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I love how Charles Wesley would pen that in in one of his hymns. Mild he lay his glory by. Yes, Jesus died to self. He left heaven, became one of us. But Charles Wesley goes on to say in his hymn, he was born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. This is a great word study in the Gospel of John again. I'll just let you do the math there. But look up how many times John says the word life. 
He owns this term. And it's not just in his gospel. Go through the epistles and see just in 1 John how many times he, he says the word. This is why I've come. It's, it's for you to have life. Matter of fact, you know the other, the other top ver, uh, book of the Bible that talks about life? It's caught my attention. It's a book that sometimes we look to to see the chaos of the end. We go to see how everything ends and how humanity dies and goes. No, it's a book of life. The book of Revelation, which John was gifted. It's life, life, life throughout. And here's this reminder from John's gospel. He's not just talking about, as Elizabeth beautifully sang for us, that in Christ Jesus we can be covered, that our sins can be hidden. But it's even more than that, this gifting of God, this good news of God that comes at Advent. There's more that he wants to gift to us. Yes, as Wesley said, and I actually read a sermon this week, I feel your pain. I know what you're going through right now. I read John Wesley's uh, The New Birth uh, sermon for this week. He not only wants us to be, as John owns that term, born as well. He, he wants us to be born again, to be justified, to have saving grace so that our sins might be covered, and that you and I might be redeemed. But there's something more that you and I might have life. I'd heard years ago in college of a story of, of, a, of a man who had I don't know if it was first, second, third time. Maybe it was his first time coming down to get baptized and had just lived a life running from the Lord. And so when they put him down that first time he came up, he said, glory, hallelujah, do it again. Preacher put him down a second time. He said, praise be to God, do it again. Put him down a third time, pulled him up, and he screamed at the top of his lungs, it is finished. Everybody applauded. But a wiser, more mature Christian found him after the service and said, son, it's just beginning. It's just beginning what God wants to do. Not just for you. That's what Wesley talks about in his sermon, The New Birth. You can find it online. Not just what I want to do for you, to cover you, to hide you. But, it, but, but there's this work I want to do in you. This regenerating work the sanctifying work, this life-giving work, and that's part of the message of Christmas. This is why I've come, so that you could have life, and sometimes we see that word in John, we say, oh, eternal life. God gave his only begotten son, right? We talk about eternal life. That's not how John uses that word life. It's not just life for someday, but it's a life that you and I can have now. Something for us, yes, but something in us. It's something more. My, uh, my daughter, when she was very young, I think we were at McGee Church. Uh, it's one of those sweet moments where you're thinking, okay, what we're doing is working. This is okay. Uh, she came up to me and told me, for Christmas, I only want three presents. Of course, I'm all thinking, like many parents, yeah, one's $1,500, one's $1,200. That's all Jesus got. That's all I want, just three. I shouldn't have any more than that. Later that week, I took her to the nursing home, and that must have still been on her mind because she was telling people about the, the wise men and their gifts to Jesus, and she told the residents of that nursing home that Jesus had brought, uh, the wise men had brought the Christ child gold and myrrh and Frankenstein. So... <laughs> 
I'm not that good at parenting. I got some things right. He wants to gift us something, and it's more than just covering and hiding. There's something more. Now listen, I like what Wesley says, and I'll let you go back and find that if you want. Not only does he want to gift us his life, his holiness, but he reminds us in his sermon on the new birth, he reminds us, listen, church, you're just not going to be happy without it. You're just not. I'm just pulling for some of the things he said. He would say, anybody who's self-centered, prideful, has idolatry, has self-will, Wesley says, happiness has no place there. I didn't get to go out this week. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll have to go out on Black Friday or whatever those sales are. But just when you're out this week, when you're just at a grocery store or you're out shopping, I want you to just look up for a second and watch the faces. Have any of you done that? Most people are miserable. It's, it, here they are with family, and it's just miserable. And Wesley says, if you and I don't know the saving grace of God, but also the sanctifying grace of God, we'll just never have happiness. We won't have happiness in this world. He would say, it's only when the bent of our nature is changed. We have that gift of, of, of inward holiness, outward holiness. Only in then can we be happy. Christ has come, yes, that we be born again, that we might have life. To come to saving faith, but also, as Wesley would say in that sermon, that there be a great change, that the great change can come, that he could gift himself to us so that, as we heard Elizabeth sing, God might not just cover and hide us, but that he might reign, that he might renew, that he might live through us. God wants to do that. It's over and over again here in John. 39 different times he talks about life. That's what he desires. Now listen, I want to say as your pastor too, whenever we talk about things like that, I don't want anybody to walk away going, well, you know, I'm just in a hard place right now. God must not love me. He must not want that for me. And I want to say to you that the great saints of the faith have had times of dryness that wasn't their fault. They've had times of, of spiritual frustration that wasn't because of sin in their life. That's just sometimes what, what, what happens. And in that, we will patiently wait and say, Lord, I'm trusting you to come and to do this work. As, as it speaks of Christ who came for us in Romans and in Galatians, in the fullness of time. I'm going to trust his timing in, in his work in me. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Or in Romans 5, 6, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm going to trust that Jesus will come and do that work. Sometimes we have to be patient. Sometimes it's after a long season of prayer. I like what John Wesley says. It rarely happens until we're just desperate for it. God, would you give me more of yourself? I know you love me. I know you've forgiven me. But I'm desperate for you to reign, rule, renew. As a, as a hymn we just sang, that you come and rule in my life, reign in my life. We all have seasons of, of struggle, maybe a seasons of spiritual dryness. Don't let that thwart you from what he desires for you and also what he expects. You get into the epistles, this is the kind of life. You see it in John, but you also see it in 1 John, this reminder of what he spect, expects for us to have this kind of life. Because he says, I expect this kind of holiness because you know that everyone who practices uh, righteousness is born of him. 
He reminds us, too, that, that sin cannot remain. He says in 1 John 3, 9, Whoever's been born of God does not sin, for his, his seed, Jesus' seed, remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. I'm a, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so big thing there was birch beer, but root beer's kind of similar. So I'm a root beer guy. When I moved here, uh, like different, I like all kinds of versions of root, uh, root beer, but I remember... Uh, being at McGee Church, sitting outside with one of my sons, and this young kid named Brody, who lived next door to us, came walking by. I bumped into his dad just a couple of weeks ago, so this story's on my mind. But I remember he walked by, and I'm drinking an IBC root beer. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an IBC root beer, but it's in a brown bottle, just a plain brown bottle. And I walk, he walks by, and I'm sipping on that, and his eyes get really wide because he knows I'm a pastor. And I said, okay. I put two and two together. I said, oh, 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 Brody, this, this is just root beer. It's fine, really. It's just, it's just root beer. Do you want some? I've never had it, and I never will, is what he said to me, <laughs> thinking it was an alcoholic beverage. Now, me and my stupidity, I'm like, whoa, 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 hey, Brody, Brody, it's just root beer. Seth, take a sip. Seth takes a sip. So now I'm contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and Brody's just, I just hear that. I never had it, and I never will. I just, I don't want sin to reign. I don't want it to rule. And what's offered to us in Christ is not just covering and hiding, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's interesting, when Ben Franklin was writing, he's not the best model in many things, but he was writing about Christmas. He speaks of this warning from 1 John. He says, how many observe Christmas? How many observe Christ's birthday? How few observe his precepts? Oh, tis easier to keep holidays than commandments. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message, he does a good job, again, it's just a paraphrase, but I love how he splits up this word life. Yes, it means eternal life, but I love how he, how he interprets John 20, 31. When you get to the end of John's gospel, he says, I've written all these things. The reason I've collected these signs, the reason I've collected these stories, I've written all these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Here's how Eugene Peterson uh, interprets that to modern language. Jesus provided far, far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. Not just eternal life someday, but that you might have real life now. That's what John is saying throughout Revelation. That's what John's saying throughout the first epistle. It's what John's reminding us of through the Spirit in John's gospel. I have come that you might have life. One of my favorite things to do when I talked uh, to Sarah's mom and dad when they were still teaching at Bellhaven, I would, I would ask them, give, give me your favorite test answers. 
and they taught New Testament and Old Testament, oh, some of those answers were just classic. I can't reveal them because of, I don't want to get them in trouble even though they're retired. But I looked up some, some answers to questions this week when children had, had answered the question, what is, what is love? What is love? What would you say? What would John say? But let's hear what these, these children say and then we'll close. Love is when mommy makes a cup of coffee for my daddy and takes a little taste before she gives it to him to make sure it tastes okay. That's love. Another response by a young child, what is love? You really shouldn't say I love you unless you really mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Another boy said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. And finally, a, a seven-year-old named Bobby said, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. What we're offered in Christ Yes, is forgiving grace. What we're offered in Christ, if we'll listen, is a love that won't let us go. A love that is Wesleyan is most succinct, as Kevin Watson says, most succinct the definition of what sanctifying grace is. It's just love excluding sin. He wants your heart to be filled with love so much that you'll love him well and you'll love others well and you'll love yourself well. It's what he wants to gift to us. I want to pray. I want to pray this prayer that Wesley prays at the end of that sermon and let that be our closing prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray together. May this be our continual prayer. Lord, add this to all your blessings. Let me be born again. Deny whatever you please but do not deny this let me be born from above take away whatsoever seemeth thee good reputation fortune friends health only give me this to be born of the spirit to be received among the children of god let me be born not of corruptible seed but incorruptible by the word of god which liveth and abideth forever and then let me daily grow in grace and then the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.